This is Ivarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME. My friend Pat Patterson is an executive and transition coach who helps people to define their professional and creative lives. There have been plenty of times when we've chatted about this idea of leading a creative life. Whether you've just graduated college or in the midst of a big career change, the question of how to achieve that goal can seem complicated, if not downright impossible. And it's always interesting to talk to someone who's redefined their lives several times over. But each time I've had the opportunity to talk to Pat, I come away with a perspective that's both practical and encouraging. And during a recent conversation, I realized I should have him on the show. I've benefited a lot from our talks, and I think you will too. We began by talking about what led him to help others to redefine their lives. No, I think it was this class I was teaching down at Golden West College. <clears throat> and I think I mentioned to you, there was always this group of people in the class that was doing just what you're talking about. They were, <clears throat> they had some situation either laid off or, you know, work wasn't going that well, that they wanted to kind of restart, jumpstart, whatever they're doing. And I just would notice them kind of flounder you know, it was, I think I've come to the conclusion that most creative people are creative enough. It's kind of like they don't need the help with the creativity part. Yeah. But they do need the help with more of the left brain skills, kind of like how do I run a business? How do I discipline myself to for behavioral changes? How do I finish the book? How do I get an agent? How do I license my product to make money. So I kind of focus on that in my career coaching. That tends to be kind of the area. So I just saw a need for the book, at least, that those tools should be written down in a program you could follow. seems like there's a variety of different scenarios. There's the person who's been laid off. They had some you know, major event in their lives where they're forced into some sort of career change. Mm -hmm. There are people who already have a career and they really have no desire to leave it, but they do want more creativity. Right. And then there's, I think, a, uh, uh, maybe a third category, which I just drew a blank on. <laughs> but let's just start just with those, those two ideas. Well, I think the third category is people that aren't doing anything creatively and want to get into it. Ah, oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, and so the the first group, I think it's it's always going to be about confidence building because they, if they've been laid off or they have some sort of trauma in their life, they're just depleted, and and that's actually seems to be a good time to start over because you kind of have nothing to lose. So these are going to be people, and I've seen them. I've 
have them as clients that they just need to kind of rebuild their confidence level. And the main challenge for them, I go through this all the time, is that their identity is so wrapped up in what they were doing, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. that it's hard to make the transition to I am an artist or I am a photographer or I am a writer, you know, whatever, whatever the creative choice is. It's maybe been a hobby for them. It's maybe been something that somebody told them they were good at when they were a kid and they kind of played with it, but they've kind of kept their light under the bushel basket. So it's bringing that out. It's also exploring ways that they can integrate that into, you know, a practical life. People need to make a living. Some of us at various uh, stages of that, maybe they're getting closer to retirement. You know, it's all, all over the map. So <clears throat> what what I kind of work on with people is this idea of, of what I call a montage career, which is embracing the fact that you have to have multiple income streams rather than, oh, my God, I have to work three jobs. Yeah. You know, it's it's knowing that that might be a reality for a creative, for an artistic type, and to constantly kind of feel like that's a pressure to try to slowly design that as something that you can drive, you know, something that you can be in control of. So that that's often the challenge. And for how about that group. The, the second category where they're happy with where they are, but they just want to find some way of, you know, drawing some more creativity into their lives. Kind of boosting what they may already be doing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think that there's, like I said, I think there's so many people that I work with that they, I, I think to, I don't know, I'm going to make a gross generalization. Most creatives I work with have some form of ADD. <laughs> you know, they're very scattered. You know, I used to, you know, when I had uh, artists at uh, Disney, <clears throat> And artists at Disneyland, you know, I kind of saw how, and this this is a gross generalization, but it's it seems to be the kind of the the uh, obstacle, the boulder that a lot of creatives have. <clears throat> I'd say, I'm, okay, I'm going to describe your studio for you, and they say, oh well, go ahead. You know, I've never been to their studio. I said, well, you have stacks of paper all over your studio, and they're they're projects that you're going to do or maybe you're thinking about doing, but for some reason they're out, you know, on surfaces all over your studio or your room or your office, whatever you want to call it, and you live in those stacks. And I say, <clears throat> now there's this invention that they've created where it's like a, it's like a metal cabinet and you can take those stacks and you can turn them sideways and hang them in folders and number them, and they're called files. And they all laugh and go, oh, yeah, that's funny. And I go, but there's something really to that, and that is that most visual people need visual st- stimulation. So there's a reason stuff kind of needs to be out. There's a sense of comfort from that. I mean, if you go to any artist studio, and there's 20 paintings out. They don't oh, my God, this is messy. I'm going to go put them in a closet somewhere. They, they, they want that. 
So I think the biggest challenge when you talk about, you know, being more creative, I think it's bet it's being better at being creative. It's it's what do you do with that creativity? What what is the project? How do you finish it? How do you maximize its potential instead of chasing too many shiny objects? Yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier this week, and we were talking about the yeah, but. Mm-hmm. response that you get a lot of the time mm-hmm. about, yeah, I want to do this, but. Right. Talk about that a little more because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I think I think that, a, you know, I think that a lot of what is happening in an artist's life or in any creative life or any, any working person for that matter, but this is focused on creatives, is that there's, there's an avoid, avoidance of actually just doing the work. You know, there's there's a tendency, and this kind of goes back to the distraction thing, to either you have a situation in your life or it's just, uh, I mean, the Internet, for example, is like the worst thing that's ever happened (laughs) because it's like, oh, no, I'm going to go research this and I'm going to go look up that and I'm going to go find this and I'm going to find that and I'm going to avoid writing the page of the new novel or I'm going to avoid, you know, getting the paints out or I'm going to avoid getting the clay to sculpt or whatever, whatever the medium might be. So to have these obstacles, you know, the coaching I do is all about changing behavior. It's very, very specific. You know, it's, it's usually has to do with priorities. And then once priorities are established, the focus on those priorities. So usually you can find out kind of what the obstacles are, but it's changing the behavior around those obstacles that's always going to be the challenge. Because some of us have habits that are 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the making that keep us from achieving some of our dreams. So you have someone you're working with and they go, yeah, but I just don't have the time. Which is everyone's complaint. Right. You know, whether they're working or whether they've been laid, they're laid right. off and they have yeah. all the time in the world, they still don't have mm-hmm. the time to dedicate to this creative outlet they're right. pursuing. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you get past that obstacle? We, we actually, you know, go through an exercise where we track your time. So we keep track of a day. And nine times out of ten, I would say, and this is particularly in the morning, and usually I nail everybody with this. I go, so uh, can you imagine a morning where you don't look at your email for the first two hours? Uh, well, I don't know about that. Well, could you write those two hours or could you do something else in those two hours or that one or one hour or half an hour, you know? So it's, it's taking all that kind of fluff time. How much time do you spend on Facebook? How much time do you, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm kind of hitting the silly things, but you know, you can multiply that by five or six or seven, you know, errands, um, you know, and this is not even counting it if you have to have a full-time job while you're trying to do this stuff. So it's really the avoidance of that dedicated time that I think a lot of artists think is supposed to kind of come spontaneously to them as, as opposed to being a disciplined amount of time. Why do you think it's so difficult for people to manage their time in that way, even if they know... It's kind of, even it may be, it may be obvious to them that, oh, you know, I'm probably spending a little too much time watching television or browsing the internet or whatever mm-hmm. it is. 
yet that awareness doesn't necessarily translate into them making the most of their time. Yeah, well, and that's the challenge. I mean, the changed behavior is hard. Is it fear? You know, I think that's the easy answer. I think, I think it's, I think it's just an, it, it's probably a little bit of fear. But I also think that there is, I don't want to call it laziness, but there's an avoidance that's just easier. You know, I think it's easier to, you know, kind of be in process of doing something than having done it. Sometimes I, I wonder if it's this idea that people haven't given themselves permission to be the thing that they want to be. Not even just doing it, but just being, just saying, oh, I'm, I'm a writer, I'm a photographer, I'm a sculptor, whatever it is. And, and that feeling that they have not given themselves permission, that somehow they don't have the right to lay claim to that, plays into the constant delaying of doing the work. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. I think you're talking about low self-esteem, basically. Yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, it's just I'm, ne- I'm never going to be good enough at this. Why am I bothering? Or, you know, gee, you know, my friend Fred started being a photographer when he was 20 and went to Art Center and did all these things and they're doing And I'm just starting when I'm 40. Who am I kidding? Or, yeah. you know, there's all those kind of obstacles and drawbacks. And I think that I tell, I tell a story in the book I'm writing that it was a great moment. I was at the Greek theater and uh, watching uh, Prairie Home Companion, Companion was doing a live show. And Garrison Keillor was there and Martin Sheen was his guest. And he was asking Martin Sheen, so what have you been up to? Martin Sheen said, well, I'm going back to college. Or, I'm going to college. I never went to college. You know, I'm a high school graduate. This always bothered me. And uh, Garrison Keillor said, well, you're 66. You're going to be 70 by the time you graduate. And Martin Sheen said, I'm going to be 70 anyway. <laughs> and to me, that's just like totally, you know, what I think, I think a lot of, I mean, we're a competitive society by and large. So there's a lot of comparing that, you know, in terms of artists and things creative, you know, I mean, you know this, a lot of people that study art, know art history, know that that's a little bit inevitable, but it's also just totally self-defeating. So let's, let's put a mirror to your life okay. in terms of you know, what your career was before mm-hmm. and how you negotiated all these things on, on your own. Yeah. Well, I've always been a marketing executive in the entertainment industry, worked at TV stations, KTTV here in L.A., um, WTTG in Washington, D.C. Uh, I was the head of uh, creative services for Disney Television the syndication division, and then worked in creative services at Disneyland. Got into merchandising, entertainment merchandising. Did a lot of the merchandising for Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Um, and then I started a company about 10 years ago that deals exclusively with marketing for TV stations all over the country. So I kind of combined two of my assets, which was entertainment licensing and merchandising into a business, which I sold about five years ago, but still run it as a division of this company that bought it. So I have a day job, okay? And then about four years ago, well, no, this is more, probably five or six years ago, 
uh, I had an opportunity to be in a skit at a conference. And somebody asked me, said, so, Pat, why don't you come be in this? We're doing a parody. I think it was a parody of American, uh, what's it called? American Idol. And we need somebody to be Simon Cowles. And I'm like, I don't do that. I'm not an actor. What are you talking about? And something inside of me just went, sure, I'll try that out. And so I went and did it, and I liked it. It was like, gee, this is fun. And then somebody else kind of in that world said, you know, with the way you look and you're you're an older guy and whatever, you could probably be doing commercials. So I went to a commercial class, and I started getting commercial gigs. And then one thing led to another, and I got this local cable show, which talks about career reinvention, which is my book, this creative U-turn idea. Um, so so in, in hindsight, what happened? What happened was, and this is kind of the premise of my book, is that I was at a place where I wanted to make a change. I didn't even really know it. You know, my daughter was getting ready to go off to college. I was going to be an empty nester. I'd kind of done my own business. I'd sold it, you know. So there was just a, a yearning in me. I, I call it yenopause, like menopause, but it's a yen to do something else. Um, and so I said yes to something, and I said yes to an experiment. And so one of the things that I am a real big believer in is I think that a lot of people, um, I know I have been guilty of this, they kind of view career as an all-or-nothing deal. You know, it's kind of like, I'm either this or I'm that. Yeah. I'm either doing this or I'm doing that. And when I look back, because now I'm doing a lot of commercial work, I'm doing a lot of on-air work, and eventually I became a career transition coach, I'm eventually going to do that full-time, hopefully. So what I did was I, I did little tiny experiments that I personally designed so that I... I had to succeed. And so when I'm when I'm working with clients, coaching clients, I say let's let's set up some experiments. And let's make sure though that there are experiments that aren't too high reaching that they discourage you. Give me an example. Well, an example would be well, I have a client uh uh that <clears throat> had a novel he'd finished. Okay, and we talked about the fact that he wanted to do book signings. So the experiment was that he would contact four or five bookstores to to explore how do you get a book signing there. We didn't say, you know, go to the Barnes and Noble corporate headquarters and get book signings at every store. We did something very small, and it's he's an interesting example. Because after he did that, he took charge of the, of the marketing of his own book. I mean, he just like ran with it. Whereas before, he had thought of himself only as, an, as a writer, mm. and somebody else was supposed to do that for him. He kind of thought that was, I don't do that part. And so, so these experiments often aren't even necessarily related to your creative task, but they're just doing small incremental things that then you 
you can either cross the thing off your list or it can encourage you to do more. And I think that's how people change. I think that's the behavioral change. It makes sense. I think yeah. it makes, because I think a lot of people look at this idea that wanted to be a photographer and then they make the leap of making a living and then I have to make sixty-five or a hundred thousand dollars. Right. I can never do that. And they never take the initial step. And it's like, yeah. oh, if you like to do portraiture, why don't you just start asking people if anyone wants to be a subject for for your photographs so you can build a portfolio. Instead of like making that huge leap, you know, looking yeah. at something that's accessible, that's doable, that isn't too intimidating, that's relatively easy to, to do. Mm-hmm. And just like, just ask. That's all you have to do. Right. And, and maybe as importantly, see if you like doing it. That's true. I mean, see yeah. if you actually like spending time doing that. Because I think a lot of, or not a lot of, but, you know, there's often these things that, that look good. Uh, from the outside looking in, that once you're doing them for three, four, five, eight hours a day, it's like, ooh, this isn't what I thought it was. Yeah. I, I love this idea of this mosaic career because I know for me, oh, I love photography. There's certain photography work that I, I, I'm love to do. Mm-hmm. And in, and I would do it, but I often would do it just because the paycheck was good. Right. And it really didn't derive any real satisfaction from the work. Right. And so I discovered that if, if I was making money at other things that I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. um, I'd have the option of whether or not I wanted to take that job or not. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's a perfect, perfect example. And I think that sometimes it could become confusing that I'm supposed to find orgasmic fulfillment in this thing. <laughs> That's yeah. my day job or whatever. And really, that can just be a tool to do those things, to do, you know, to do that more creative uh, experimenting that you want to do. Yeah, I think I think part of the issue, at least, at least now, is because there's so many celebrity photographers, celebrity writers, all of whom are doing, living the dream, quote-unquote, and right. it's their full-time gig, that people have lost sight that some of the greatest artists... Uh, were not full-time artists. Right. They had other other jobs. Absolutely. Was it Franz Kafka? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was a clerk. He was a clerk. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Then, but he wrote some amazing, amazing work. And yep. then other, other, you know, artists who followed the same line. They yep. had a full-time gig, yet they found the time to go out and create their art. And yep. I think that now it seems like the way people see it today, that they go, well, that person can't claim that they are mm-hmm. whatever they claim to be in right. terms of a creative person because they haven't let go of that other thing. But I think what yeah. you're saying here is that you don't have to. Doesn't have to make sense like, to anybody else, but you. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it really doesn't. I mean, if you want to feed your soul creatively, you're going to have to get over what other people think about you. I mean, it's as simple as that. So if if for example, you're you know you're supporting your craft through a day job or whatever you want to call it, you know, that is my premise is that instead of bewailing that, you know, and resenting it, you know, design it to work. I, I, when I first started doing, um, some of my changes, I, I designed a four day work week for myself with somebody I was working for. So just little things like that, little tweaks, they're like, oh, now I have an extra day. I better use it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I have these other things. Because, I mean, the world's just a much more flexible place now, you know. And it's, it's you're able to ask for permission to do this other task, you yeah. know. I think, uh, for me, when I think about this idea of, of giving myself permission, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that often comes up with me, and people ask me what I do. Right. And it's like... I hate that. I hate that question. <laughs> I hate that question because no. I do so many things. But like you said, we our identity is based on so much that we do. Yeah. And it's like I'm doing so many different things. I feel like giving them. I don't want to give them an answer. <laughs> so, so here's what I tell clients because I, I think the, I think you hit on one of the most. You know, come on, artists are sensitive people. Um, I I. I encourage clients, once they've, uh, coaching clients I work with, that kind of once they've established their goals, they are very particular about who they share those goals with. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I call it sneer pressure. You know, it's people people that maybe, and family and friends can sometimes be the worst. They, they know you, they've got you categorized, you're pigeonholed, and you say, oh, I want to go write a novel. And they go, you can't write a novel. Well, you know, you know, I mean, that's just their made-up perception of yeah. you. So, so there's certain people I would just say when they ask you what you do for a living, just make it up and don't care. Don't explain it. But there's other people that maybe you know will encourage you or have be supportive of you that you take the you put that energy into them rather than the ones that you're like, oh God, I have to explain what I do because people that that are in tune with what you're trying to do, they'll get what you're trying to explain. They'll understand everything about it and they'll they'll it'll open up to be a place where they'll go, Oh, I know what you're trying to do. That's hard, isn't it? Yeah. You Who did you find in your life to to serve that role? You know, a number of people. I, I found I I have a coach. I'm doing this career coaching. I have a coach. He knew exactly kind of how the challenge of, of starting a, a new career in my mid-50s would be. Um, he had a Zen background. He was a guy that had gone to a monastery. He was an actor, so he could also relate. In fact, that's how I found him was through my agent. Um, I, I also, particularly around the acting piece, because that was just such a out-there kind of thing for me. You know, I mean, any anybody could have just blown on those that house of cards lightly, and it would have crumbled. <laughs> you know, I was like, "Oh, never mind. I'm not supposed to do this." So, so, but I knew that about myself. So I was really, really particular about finding a couple of acting friends that I could talk to specifically about this. And I, I remember vividly about five years ago, I got my first role on a cable TV show. I was going to play a doctor. And I've been around production all my life. I've been on the other side of the camera most of my career, doing commercials, promos, all sorts of stuff. But I've never been in front of the camera. And I was literally calling this woman, you know, like as I was driving to the set to do this, to be a doctor on on the show, and just asking her just real basic stuff, you know. And she didn't go, well, you should know that by now. I mean, didn't you... You know, there was none of that. She was. She has been through this, so she knew. Okay, now calm down, <laughs> breathe. You know, and it was just such an enjoyable 
change. And, and I think, you know, for your audience, I think that if they, they will experience that change when they talk to the right people. And I really think it's important. I think, I think, I don't, I don't know that there's anything more important that we could touch on here than finding those people in your life that encourage you rather than dissuade. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsor. The goal of a website is more than just a place to deposit your images and have some contact information. It's really meant to allow you to define who you are as a photographer, an artist, and a business person. A way of doing that is by also having a blog on your site, which allows you to share not only your recent work, but also something about yourself that your clients and followers would find of interest. It's also a great way to distinguish yourself from the many other photographers out there who may shoot a similar subject matter, but don't produce results in the special way that you do. Squarespace templates make blogging easy and beautiful because it's one of the options that's part of your Squarespace website. You don't have to learn any special coding or layout design. You just drag and drop and write and you're there. You can schedule a post for future release if, like me, you like having a few posts in the can. Find out for yourself by taking advantage of their 14-day free trial. You don't need a credit card, just create an account and try it out. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off and to show your support for the show. Squarespace. Blog beautifully. Yeah, I think whether or not it's uh, quote unquote a mentor, mm-hmm. but having someone there as a as a resource that you can ask questions of, who can be supportive, right? Uh, that can challenge you mm-hmm. is really really good. And yeah. I think that while having a group of people who are, have the same interests as you is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I for me, I find that after a while, if I want to move to a whole new level. That that same community of people can actually stifle me. Absolutely. So it's important for me to have someone who I admire or has something that I want, basically, that that leads me to building a relationship and and nurturing myself in that. Way. And, and I think that's why I'm such a believer in in the coaching process is because a lot of people are going to have an agenda, even your support group of yeah. like artists they, they have a certain style they want they you know they're into this they're not into that they think you do better at this art and and what coaches can do is take all of that subjectivity out of it and just kind of just be objectively in your corner you know and and they're 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 looking at you this is starting to sound like a commercial but they they're looking at you in a whole person context, who are you married to? What, you know, what, what's your childhood? I mean, it's not analysis or counseling, but they, but we factor all that in to get you to a place where, you know, what is the most advantageous path, game plan and goals for you to have as an individual without all that rest of that gobbledygook, you know, Oh, you wasted this amount of money on an education. Oh, you, I mean, just all that stuff that other people might put on you is gone. 
Yeah, you know, I see so much of, you know, these hucksters, for lack of a better word. Right. Uh, going out there, you can live the dream. You know, right. Just mm -hmm. uh, follow me. Or just do this. Right. Or attend this workshop. Or, right. you know, part of my classes. And I look at some of, the, some of that stuff and I just, I just go... The only one person is succeeding is the one who's selling the, the magic elixir. Right. Well, I'm one and of those. That's who I do. <laughs> so, so to some extent, though, I think that you know it is important to have somebody there. Yeah. Whether it's someone you pay uh, to to help you specifically mm -hmm. as as you do with other people, or whether it's someone that you can build a relationship or a friendship with. Yep. Uh, it's important, but as you said, there's a lot of people have some agendas. Yeah. And, and you know, considering how vulnerable you can feel as you're exploring your own creativity, it can sometimes make it difficult to be discerning about those various personalities, totally. about their intentions. Totally. So what, what have you learned from your own life that has helped you to, to figure out who do you you involve yourself with and who do you avoid like the plague? Well, I think it's a good, I, I, I contend to be a very skeptical person. So I think it's a good, a good tool to have a little bit of critical thinking in your process about anybody. I mean, just while I was joking, but you know, I mean, there's plenty of that out there. So I think, I think the process that I succeeded in developing for myself at least is that it it I kept I kept breaking it up into little bite-sized chunks and and knowing kind of the proof was in the pudding with every step I just I just did it in the proper order you know I can remember very specifically going to go into acting class and going oh god this is too hard I'm gonna you know I'm just I don't have time for this my daughter whatever work and I just went no nah, you know what you're going to get this to the point where you get an agent. That's a good little landmark to shoot for. And it was a stretch, but I ended up getting an agent. And I'm really glad I did. So I could have taken more classes and I could have read more books. And I could have, but I kind of went, you know, if the agent thing doesn't come kind of easily, I mean, I'm 55 or whatever, mm -hmm. I probably don't have the fire in the belly to do this thing. I mean, I was very objective about it, yeah. you know, and so there's certain little things, and I'm not saying, you know, you quit just because, you know, you, you don't achieve X, Y, Z by next Thursday, but there are there is a certain law of the universe that some of this has to come towards you, you know, yeah. and, and so I think having that, there's a lot of untalented people trying to be artists. There are a lot of untalented people who are artists. Yeah. And so are making quite a good living. Well, you know, I think I think that's probably I think that's a neat statement, but I also think I think there's a lot of um I I worked with um Wyland. This is a guy that does uh, seascapes. A lot of your audience will know him. He has a studio down in Laguna. He has studios in Maui. He he paints these giant whaling walls all over the country and I know a lot of illustrators here in Pasadena Art Center, a lot of illustrators at Disney. There are plenty of people that can paint a whale underwater as good as this guy can. 
I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of artists that can achieve that technically. So <clears throat> why is this guy making, I think he grosses in the 300 to $400 million a year range off of his licenses, his merchandise. Uh, he branded himself. I mean, he got out there and he started doing projects for free where he was painting on these walls. He's got television coverage. He got newspaper coverage. He had this added gift of publicity. So it's kind of easy to say, well, there's a lot of untalented people that, you know, are getting by, but, but their talent might lie in some other area. Mm -hmm. They might be really good promoters. They might be really good salespeople. They might be really good, you know, podcast interviewers. You know, I mean, there's something else that they do that kind of raises their talent. It's like a talent plus thing. And I think that's what's a lot of that's needed these days. I mean, there's a lot of clutter out there. And if you're sitting in your living room waiting for somebody to come knock on the door and say, you know, you're a genius, I want to put you into the marketplace, it's probably not going to happen. You make a good point about at some point, you know, you, enough of the classes, enough of the books, enough of the workshops, you got to put your foot in the water. That's right. You got to dive in. Yeah. And, you know, I'm as guilty of, as this as a lot of other people out there. I'm mm -hmm. trying to educate myself as much as I possibly can before I make the leap and sometimes I haven't made the leap until I've been like forced and pushed right into the pool. Yeah. When when you're when you're I think you've answered the question in terms of what people need to do in order to get into the pool. Right. But how do you sustain it? You know, once you're in there, getting in starting sometimes is people talk about that that's often often the hardest thing to do. Right. But once you have gotten started, mm -hmm. maintaining the momentum. Mm -hmm. Being dutiful about doing the work and not falling back on old habits or letting other distractions take over, that seems sometimes insurmountable, you know, because there are so many things that can happen during the course of the day, course of the year. How do you, how do you encourage people to maintain the focus? I think that I think it's a great question, and I think that you know one of the one of the elements that I see is a habit, and this is particularly true for people that are transitioning into a creative life, but I think it could be people that are doing their creative life, is getting too stuck in kind of what resting on their laurels. I think, I think that for artists, there has to be a dynamic element where you're constantly reinventing yourself. And, and it's kind of ironic because I just told you about a guy, Wyland, who created this branding niche for himself and has been, you know, flogging it to death for 25 years. But he got into other mediums and he was open to licensing. And he, you know, suddenly, well, you know, let, let's put your whale on a coffee mug. Oh, okay. You know, and I got 12% royalty, licensing royalty on that. So I think that, I think that, here again, I'm going to generalize, but I think that sometimes artists and creatives they can get so kind of stuck in what their um, ta talent is that they miss other areas that they probably would excel in. David Hockney is another great example. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a guy that if you go to a David Hockney retrospective, it's like, so does this guy paint or is he a photographer or is he a videographer? 
is he an optician specialist? <laughs> what? It, but he's just, you love all of it. And it's just because he's so open. He's just, so, what's next? Oh, really? No more painting? Okay, I'm going to throw away all my bread. He doesn't go, well, painting's a lost art and craft. And my God, we should still be. He doesn't do any of that stuff. Yeah. Polaroids, let's go. You know, doing stuff with iPads. He did this video stuff that I saw at LACMA recently that was, he, where he was running these cameras down uh, these garden paths and they were all uh, images out of sync and it was wondrous, you know. And I didn't sit there and go, oh, how come David isn't painting anymore, you know. So I think, I think that's, because I think creative people need that, but I think they, they can get confused with, um, and ironically, I think photography is one of the hardest ones. Because I think it is being so democratized, you know, by the technology, you know, everybody takes a picture. Everybody takes 10 pictures a day, <laughs> you know, that, that it's hard to go. So what do I, what's my specialty? What do I do? You know, and how do I carve out my piece in the middle of all this? Yeah. You know, the answer to that is always comes down to people embracing the, the way that they see. Mm -hmm. How they see, that translates into how they use the camera and how they use Photoshop and all those things. Once they come to trust that and are not defined by what other people tell them is quote-unquote photography. Right. Like, for street photography, there are a bunch of people going, oh, this is or isn't street photography. Right. And it's like, you can't let other people's definitions impact what you what you need to do right don't worry about whether other people are defining it as fitting a category or not if you're driven and you're drawn to make those kinds of pictures you make those kinds of photographs well and when you think about it it's a perfect a, a perfect example because street photographers you know they're the ones that did you know did what everybody can do now which is direct access to a consumer or to to somebody that's you know, a potential uh, customer, if you will. I mean, you 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 have the you have the ability now with the internet and with being able to sell things online or do whatever you need to do. I mean, you don't you don't you can bypass all that criticism. You know, so if you're still kind of hung up in that, which a lot of people have to be, they're in the gallery world or whatever. But you know, I just don't. I don't. I think. You know, woe be unto you if you get stuck back there. Yeah. I think the, the way I was referring it to is in terms of people's own identity rather yep. than how they're going to market the work. Okay. You know, I think that, that, that and it kind of goes back into, you know, giving yourself permission to lay claim to the title of whatever creative right. outlet that you right. have. But it, it can be, you know, a burdensome thing to look for affirmation for what you're doing from outside. Yeah. And and I think we're kind of saying the same thing. I think I think that it, you know so here's here's the marketer's perspective. You know, and 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 in a certain way this is the actor's perspective because I go to casting calls, I go to auditions and I show up and it's usually a room full of me's. You know, because we're all you know, we need a man sixty years old and gray hair and salt and pepper hair and blah, 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 and I'd walk in and it's a room full of me, you know, and and at some point the casting director tells me who I am, 
and and I might not think of myself as who he perceives me as being, but suddenly he wants to use me in that role. And it's a very interesting dynamic. I can either go, I'm not a, I'm not a fun-loving grandpa, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, or I can go, oh, thank you, I can do that for you. And I don't think, and I'm not trying to say photography or any art should be commercialized like that, that, you know, we'll do whatever the the market wants. But I think there's a lesson in that, that you at least be open to other opinions of who you are. Mm-hmm. And that if they start to kind of, if enough people kind of are saying the same thing, maybe it's time to reassess. Yeah, and I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is yeah. finding those those people who can provide you that yeah. kind of the kind of feedback. Yeah. Because I know I've been that for other people, where mm-hmm. everyone around them is telling them, oh, you know, we don't get it. We don't yeah. get it. And I'm able to look at it and go, ignore those people, because they're yeah. just blind to what you're doing. Yeah. And I've had that occasionally in my life, where I'm showing someone that they're doing, and they reveal to me something that I was completely oblivious to. Right. About what I'm doing and what I could do with it as a result. Right. Um, you know, we work in isolation. A lot of artists work in isolation, yep. which is both a good thing and it's it can be a terrible thing. Yeah, um, because sometimes it's just the the our voice in our in our head, the only one doing the talking, and mm-hmm. sometimes they're not the most agreeable personality to have yeah. a conversation with. Yeah, and that's where you get out and you get other opinions and you go do something a little more uh, inspirational. Go to a museum. Go to a show. Go. You know. I mean, I think that's. I mean, this is all stuff that I tell clients to do because they can get in the doldrums. Yeah, photographer, a photographer named Jay Maisel, who you may not be familiar with, has a great saying. He says, you want to be a better photographer? Lead a more interesting life. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good. Very true. Earlier when we were talking in the week, you made an interesting point about the differences between men and women. Right. Um, and, and about how they identify with you know, their careers and mm-hmm. what they're doing mm-hmm. and how that translates to them, you know, embracing um, their artistry in one form or another. Can, can you t- touch on that? Sure. Yeah. And I, I can't, I, I'm loads to paint with too broad a brush, but, uh, and I've, some of my colleagues kind of confirm this, that by and large, a lot of men who have had a career and then want to do something different. They want to make this transition, this creative U-turn, I call it. Um, their hardest uh, obstacle is getting over their old successful identity. They will enter most, uh, you know, um, situations, you know, with their resume in place, and it gets in the way. You know, they they just are still living off of those past glories. And to break them out of that and to humble them enough to be a beginner can be a task. Mm. You know, they're not at age 40, 50, whatever it is. To be a novice is a tough thing. But to be a novice is the only way to learn, you know. I mean, if you think you know more than the teacher, then you're kind of screwed, (laughs) (laughs) you know. So, So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is... You know, not only women, but certainly certain women that have been had a certain uh, path, which would be maybe they were stay-at-home. Maybe they did something early in life. They had a career, but then they stopped, and they were stay-at-home mom for 10, 15 years, whatever it might be. And now they want to get back. Their kids are grown or whatever. For them, it's the reverse 
of what I just discussed, which is building up their confidence. It's, 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 oh, I don't really know how to do anything. I mean, I don't, I barely can use a computer or whatever it is, you know, that, that they have a tendency to, to undervalue their assets where the men can have a tendency to overvalue their assets. I was guilty of this when I first started acting. I would go into these auditions. I told a joke that I would go on into these auditions as an ex-Disney studio guy and think, well, these guys are going to be impressed. You know, I'm going to be able to drop a few names and blah, blah, blah. And they could have given... They could have cared less about that. It was like, how can you act? And I just really quick, I went, oh, well, of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, either you know how to play in a baseball game or you don't. It doesn't really matter your background or who you are, your, you know. It's it's a blow to the ego, but one that you have to get over with, over real quick. Very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want to enter that arena, you know. The, the other thing we didn't t- touch on, though, is something that I I think is very important, and that is with this whole montage career idea, and that is that there's this whole substrata. I, you know, for lack of a better word, I kind of call it the minor leagues, where where I think people also, uh, particularly late in life uh, transition people need to adjust what can be fun. They need to adjust the fact that maybe they're shooting too high. They want to go for the moon. And this is where I'm not one of those rah-rah, you can do anything kind of Mm -hmm. coaches. I'm kind of like, well, you maybe can't do anything, you know, but maybe you can have fun in the minor leagues. Maybe there's, maybe there is a place for you in, in what is kind of the, the substrata of art, you know. And, and I think people can tend to almost not think of that as a goal. I think that can be a goal. I yeah. Think, you know? I know for me, it's, it's, I'm not looking to make oodles and oodles of money. I want right. to live comfortably. But yeah. what I want to have is I want to have more pleasure in my life that's directly derived from the things I enjoy to I enjoy doing right the podcasting the photography the writing I want those to be the means by which I get to travel to come to meet all these interesting people to have all these unique experiences to be in a restaurant you know that I never would otherwise be into and mm-hmm. have a great conversation with a bunch of people laughing and that's why I want all these things to happen yeah. because I get this this result. That's it. And I think that that's, I think people don't realize that that's really what they want. Mm-hmm. Especially when they're, when they're dissatisfied with their work and with their careers. It's mm-hmm. not so much that they, they may hate their, they may hate their job and they may no. hate their boss. But I think part of it is that they just want to have a life where they feel like, wow, I had an amazing day. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring me, but I'm really looking forward to yeah. it. I think ultimately that's what everyone really wants. And while they would love to be artists, I think uh, to a great extent, it's just people who just want to have more fun, enjoyable, pleasurable, memorable experiences. Right. Yeah. And I get there. And that's a that's a true montage. The, the only thing I'll say is I don't know that that's what everyone wants. I think that certainly at a certain age, it's what people want. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I think I think you know when you're 20 or 30, it's just like you know, go yeah. for it. But you start 35, 40, 45, you kind of people by and large. I know it happened to me. That becomes more important. Does it become easier or harder to to make this change as you get older? I for me, it's easier. I didn't try it early. Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I was self-employed most of my life, I learned very early how to reinvent myself. I mean, the market dictated what I did. So I I was very open to change. And I also, you know, this whole ego thing of hanging on to your old identity, um, I did fairly successfully probably in my mid-30s. So I had a little bit of a leg up just in terms of the habit of doing that, where I, you know, what do you do now? Well, I do this. You know, I'm marketing for TV stations. I'm in the toy industry. I'm, you know, I was able to make those shifts and kind of embrace them. Um, Now I would just say the advantage of age is that you just don't care what people think as much. That's true. You just don't. You know, I mean, I don't, I wish I could claim credit for some magic (laughs) potion that did that, but I think it's just getting old. You know, you just kind of, oh, well, you know, it's good enough for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, it's kind of secondary. Well, the question I usually ask last is I usually ask my um, guest to recommend another photographer. And you you might have a photographer in mind, but uh, what I'd like you to suggest is a, a creative person that, you, that you've long admired or maybe have recently discovered that you think our listeners would really benefit from discovering and, and exploring on their own. And it can be anyone. I am a huge fan of Marcel Duchamp. And Marcel Duchamp is the guy that an old guy, you can't go meet him because he's dead, but he's the guy that kind of came up with ready-mades. And he's the guy, a lot of, you know, the joke of what his biggest piece of art was, the urinal turned upside down and, you oh, know. Yeah. But he also painted the nude descending a staircase, you know, and he, he uh, did something at the end of his life where he t- said that he had... Uh, stopped being an artist and he was just playing chess and he was financially in a place where he could do that. He wasn't a rich artist by any stretch of the imagination. And after he died, they discovered that he had been working on a piece of art for like 25 years Mm -hmm. and that he had left a notebook on how to install this. And this piece of art is um, uh, in the Philadelphia art museum. And I'm a big Duchamp fan and, I uh, went and saw his display there, which is on permanent display. And I walked down into the bookstore, and I opened one of the uh, coffee table books, and there was this other piece, and I hadn't seen it. And I said, I didn't see this piece. I I wasn't familiar with it. I'd never heard of it. And the lady said, oh, yeah, go back up, and you'll find it. And I went up, and you walk into a room, and there's a, a... a door and it's like a it's like a looks like a rustic um door to an old french estate or something and and you kind of go oh there's this door but then suddenly you see these two little peepholes on the door which just immediately say come look through these peepholes and you go and you look through these peepholes and it's this panorama this diorama i should say of of, of a still life and it's a it's a woman uh, laying in a field 
and it's got a waterfall in the background, and he's kind of created this little diorama. And I got to tell you, it was like a religious experience, mm. seeing this, discovering this thing. And it's what he had in mind, you know, and here he was doing it over the course of decades. You know, I'm sure as he was planning this thing, he was thinking, you know, sometime in the late 90s, Pat Pattinson's going to walk into it. <laughs> I'm going to blow his mind. Uh, and I just love the trajectory of that guy's career because he truly didn't care what other people thought about him. I mean, he truly found his old, own voice. He constantly discarded old mediums. He got rid of painting. He did the ready-mades. He got rid of the ready-mades. He did other stuff. Uh, so he, he was one of these guys, he has one of the famous quotes is that his art is how he lives, mm. you know, and that kind of is a neat thing to live by. Oh, no, that's great. So where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? You can go to my website, which is patpatison.net. So that's P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N.net. And I'm also, can I mention a workshop coming yeah, up? Yeah, yeah I've got a workshop coming up called Creative U-Turn, and that is going to be August 25th, and you can find information on that at eastvillageyoga.org, eastvillageyoga.org, which is a yoga studio here in Pasadena. So we'll be doing a four-hour workshop, uh, basically doing some of the stuff that I do with my coaching clients. Okay, well, yeah. Thank you. It was a real, it was a real fun to have you. Yeah, Brian X, it was great. I appreciate you having me. Great. Thanks for joining us for another episode and for spreading the word. You can show your support for the show by contributing any amount via PayPal. Whether it's $20, $50, or more, your donations continue to help us to improve the quality of the program and you can find a convenient link on the website or in the show notes. The show is edited by Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of the TWIP Network. Discover more great photography podcasts such as This Week in Photography, Street Focus, All About the Gear, and more by visiting twip.com. Dot com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.